Welcome back to another episode of the Next Level Minds podcast. My name is Chris Chapman, and I am your host. For those of you who are tuning in for the first time, then this is a podcast dedicated to those who want to reach a next level in their business, personal, or career life. Every other week, I'm blessed to sit down with a fully qualified guest, entrepreneur, content creator, or mover and shaker in their industry and walk through their story of how they have gotten from point A to point B and overcame various adversities along the way. Now, before we dive into today's episode, I just wanted to go ahead and reiterate my main goal, which is to impact over 1 million people by helping them reach a next level. So if you have not done this already, please share this episode with a family member, friend, or colleague who you think will get some value out of it. And if you're really feeling special, Make a review on Apple Podcasts. Let me know what you think. Other than that, on to today's guest. I'm sitting down with Mike Diamond, who is a TV personality, director, life coach, interventionist, author, and an amazing speaker. Mike's book is one of my favorites, which is Seven Steps to an Unbreakable Mindset. So we're going to break down a lot of lessons that are within this book He's also very into meditation, so we're going to break down some lessons there. And he's got a pretty awesome morning routine, so he's going to break down that and really the importance of having strong, productive habits. Mike also has an amazing story of how he got to America from Australia. There's a lot to unpack in that story itself. So I'm super pumped to sit down with Mike today. I know he's going to absolutely kill it as a guest. Other than that, As we like to say here at Next Level Minds, your mindset is your greatest weapon for the battle of success. Mike, thanks for taking the time to uh, be on the Next Level Minds podcast. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me, buddy. Yeah, I know uh, you were dealing with a little bit of L.A. traffic earlier, huh? Unfortunately, L.A. traffic. That's uh, actually I had a I mean, do you want me to be honest with you what my day was like? Sure. Let's do it. All right. So, you know, I get up between three thirty and four in the morning. So I. I got a kid a record deal a couple of days ago mm. and I told him, whatever you do, like try to stay on point. <laughs> he went off the rails for a day and a half. So I was dealing with a kid that got excited because I got him a record deal and then decided kind of just to disappear for a couple of days. So oh. it's like, that's the kind of, yeah, that's the kind of stuff I deal with. Like I, it, you think people could just follow basic directions, but they no. do their best, but they can't. And I still send them love and try to help them, but it's like, oh God, whatever, what are you going to do? It's kind of like so. the, the, the whole uh, two steps forward, one step back type of thing that happens sometimes. So. Well, you know what people don't understand? It's not actually self-sabotage. What happens is people get so excited that they think they've arrived and they forget mm. that they, you never arrive. It's just another day in a reset. So they get the adrenaline of the moment and the opportunity and they forget the work that actually goes with it. Mm. That's such a good I mean? point. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's people think it's self-sabotage, but a lot of the time it's not actually self-sabotage. People are actually unconscious of the feeling and then they run with the feeling. Mm. That's a really you know? good yeah, that's such a good point because like sometimes you ride the highs too high and then the lows too low, but it's like just because you kind of like made it to that point A that you were trying to get to, it's almost like you still have to keep putting in the work or else you're going to go right back to where you were. 
Exactly right. And it's just, you just got to reset, refocus. And that's why I always say to people, purpose is more important than passion. Mm. And the reason is, is if you follow a purpose, you're actually looking at a target and, and the purpose is about bringing service to you, right? Passion is a feeling. I can be passionate about something, but feelings don't last. So if I say what I'm passionate about a sport, there's nothing wrong with that. I go and play the sport for a long time. Then the sport ends. And what happens? These people, you see them, they have no purpose after the sport ends. So mm. the trick is to find an inclination and find what you're good at and then do the repetitions daily, be of service, find your purpose, and then be passionate about it. Gotcha. So that it's almost like the passionate comes, comes last, is what you're saying? or Yes, because gotcha. feelings don't last. Feelings mm. are temporary, right? So if you're just going to feel good, when if you never feel good? Yeah. What, you never be of service, never do the work? That's do you see true. what I'm saying? So you've got, you've got to alter the perception. That's why successful people do the work no matter how they feel. Unsuccessful people only work when they feel good. Right. What if you never feel good? What if you never feel right? That means you never work. Mm-hmm. So you've always got to be working towards a purpose. There's got to be a reason. There's got to be a driver. And then once you get moving, you get excited because of the progress. Yeah, I love that. And it's I like what you mentioned about successful people do the work even when they don't feel like it. Um, and that's something that took me a little bit to get. I'd be like, oh, I'm motivated Monday through Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Eh, but now I'm like, even if I'm not motivated Friday, you still have to put in the same work I think you put in on that Monday or Tuesday. And that's what separates the gap. So someone says to me, do I take days off? I'm like, no. And they're like, why? I'm like, because every day is a reset. Mm-hmm. I get up at the same time every day. I meditate. I exercise. I do inventory. I read. Because it, I, it's not work to me. It, they're just great habits. Yeah. It's not work. I don't, I don't, I enjoy it. I enjoy doing things that empower me. Do you know what I mean? So it's not, I don't really work. It's like when someone says you, you work out so hard, I'm like, I don't work out. I exercise. It's just yeah. a part of my, my life. I love to exercise. Yeah. And it's, it's reframing that perspective. Yeah. I love that. And I want to touch on that in like super deep level in a little bit, but before we like fully dive into the podcast, you mentioned exercise. So just fun yep. question for you. What's like your favorite, you didn't even call it workout. So what's like your favorite exercise right now that you're doing? Is it cardio, weights? I mean, what would you have to say? You know, it's so weird. <clears throat> this is going to sound so strange. <laughs> um, someone said to me years ago, I, uh, you know, you know, everyone used to go to the gym and do uh, just lift chest, chest and biceps because it looks good. Curls for the girls. Yep. I'm obsessed now with uh deep stretching and like leg workouts really? because I did something. Yeah. Like I can sit in a static stretch for like 45 minutes and I, and I, it's like, it's called a, uh, it's a split stretch where you get like a, a thing that cranks your legs open and I'll meditate and sit in those for like 30 to 40 minutes. And I feel it just pull all the toxins out of my groin and my lower back. So wow. it, yeah, it's been d- deep stretching is like I'm getting a real kick out of it because it's something new for me. Yeah. So, yeah, deep, deep, really deep stretching has been like really cool. So not the bro workouts of the biceps and chest or anything? No, I could, yeah. because I just, you know, I love training every part of the body, but like, yeah, you do a shoulder workout, you do a leg, but like, um, you know, it's, yeah, I love cardio. I never used to love it, like the running, the cardio. I like... The reason I love the cardio workout so much is because 
there's nothing better than feeling aerobically fit. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like knowing you're never going to get tired is a great feeling. Like, because yeah. you, you can feel safe in the sense of if someone you I can take care of myself physically, I've done Muay Thai and that, but if you know you've got cardio, you're like, dude, I can take care of myself. I can dance around for a fucking hour. No one's going to knock me out. It's yeah, just a great, it's a good well-being, you know. Then, you you know, you lift a bunch of weight, you can't walk up the stairs and your back's sore. You're like, that's not really. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm like, I like, as I get older, I respect uh, physical, like, cardio and aerobic strength. Mm-hmm. I love that. I've been stretching before I go to sleep and when I wake up, man, it's even five minutes. It's been a game changer. It's huge because it releases all the toxins out of the body and the lactic acid and it allows the body to reset. And, and, and the good thing is it allows you to warm up correctly. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You shouldn't just dive into a workout. You should really open the body up, the chakras up, the energy centers, breathe correctly. Because then when you're working out correctly, you're actually building muscle and healing. Even though you're tearing the muscle apart, you're actually building the muscle correctly. You know, George St. Pierre's uh, coach, Faraz, talks about it, how he talks about you should never be really in a massive amount of pain when you're working out afterwards. You should be in flow. Hmm. And Mikhail, that, that famous guy, I can never pronounce his name, Michetskakov, talked about, wrote a book called Flow, and he was talking about finding that centering spot every time to be in flow when you exercise. Huh. That's an, I'm going to have to write that down. That's really cool. Great book. It's called Flow. Flow? Okay. Yeah, it's a, not a long book. It, it's Mikhail something Cheska. Yeah, well, well, it's, a, yeah. yeah it's, <laughs> it's like 50, 20 letters in his last name. Oh, oh my God. God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like one of those five syllable last names. <sighs> yeah. yeah, that's funny. Exactly. Um, so you have the coolest story, by the way. I mean, it's a whole journey, whole process. But for this podcast, I want to start out like right before you got that job at the local clothing store and how that got you to America. I think how you got that job is the coolest story within itself. Cause it's just like, screw it. I'm going to take a risk and watch what happens. So I'll let you take it from there. Cause I love that story. So when I left uh, acting school, there was a clothing boutique in that I walked past every day. And this is what I want to tell people. So you have to trust your intuition. So, you know, I didn't know about law of attraction back then, but the law of attraction is very simple. If you are focused on something, like attracts like. And intuitively, the universe will give you signals. And when you pick up the signals, there's the crumbs. And you've got to eat the crumbs before you get to the cake. Mm. So intuitively, before I walked into the clothing store, I had a feeling like I should probably just get a job in this clothing store. So I go on that feeling. So I walked straight in and the manager's name was Dean because I knew the guys. And, uh, you know, I went from going by and seeing them all day saying I'm going to acting school to now like I'm going to sell clothes, which is kind of a, what are you talking about? These guys take this serious. I just wanted a job. So when I asked Dean, I said, hey, man, I'll work here for one, two weeks for free. I'll show you how good I am. He, he was a little offended, but then he wasn't. He was like, all right, so show me how good you are. Sell clothes to someone right now that walks in. Now, I did have an advantage. I always tell people, you're not selling the product, you're selling yourself. Mm. And Simon Sinek always says, it's not, people don't buy what, what, what you do, they buy why you do what you do, right? Your why. Mm. So I was passionate about selling myself and selling something. But my goal was, my purpose was to get to America. So I had the big picture. So 
the lady walked in, a lady walked in and I know, all right, I'm pretty good at improvising. I went to acting school. It's a men's boutique. So unless she's a cross-dresser, I'm going to take a risk and say, are you looking for your husband or your son, like a boyfriend? And she said, my son. I said, perfect. Now, here's an important thing to remember. I don't know the stock in the, in, in the room, right? But they've displayed something on a mannequin. So if it's on a mannequin at the door, it must be good, right? So I just looked in the window and I spotted an outfit and I didn't know the size in the store. So I said, give me a second. And I grabbed, I looked at the outfit and I looked at my size and I said, is he about my size? She said, yeah. I said, give me a second. And I just went with it. So I went into the change room and I put on the outfit and I came out and she was like, I love, I'll take it. And I turned around to Dean and I said, you owe me a job. (laughs) So I started working in the boutique and I was doing really well. And I was making a ton of money and Dean and I and the guys in the store, we became really close and I was still doing acting classes, but I'd left formal school. I was just doing classes and auditions and getting some work. And I did the same thing and a lady came in and we were talking and I sold her a bunch of clothes and she said, what are you doing here? And I said, look, I'm going to save my money to move to America. And she said, well, you should enter the green card lottery. And I'm going to be honest with you. I thought she was smoking crack. I'm like, what are you talking about? Green card lottery? I'm like, yeah, okay. So that night I went home. I was living on the beach in Australia, smoked a little joint, got a little stoned, turned up to work the next day. And I was cleaning the front of the store with my friend, Al, and it was an open-air mall. And she, it was before we were open, she was carrying bags from the store. So in my brain, I'm thinking she's coming to return the clothes because I sold her clothes for a husband, right? Yeah. Or whatever. So I hid in the back and I was in the front of the store and she's like, hey, and she's like, hey, and he's like, oh, where's the other guy? And he's like, oh, he's in the stock room somewhere. And she goes, I bought him the green card lottery ticket. So I popped my head out. I was like, hey, she goes, hey. And I was like, look, I was hiding in the back. I thought you were going to return the clothes. She said, not at all. So she gave gave me a green card lottery ticket. The next day I went to the embassy because I thought this can't be real. And I said, look, is this real? They're like, yeah, you'll never win. I go, what I have to do? They said, just get an envelope, send it in, write your address, boom. Send it in. Six months later. The immigration oh. department from America contacted me that I won a green card. Holy uh, crap. Uh, and it, was, it wasn't just like you win. I had to like immigrate correctly. You had yeah. to like, you know, go. Through. But still, I mean, that's how that's, I got to America. Like that's just that Willy Wonka shit. Yeah, it seriously is. End of the odds. I mean, you literally just defined uh, like odds. It was like one in and back then because it was like open territory. Like he literally was millions of people, hundreds of millions of people. And they only gave out, I think 50,000 in the whole world. It was that small of a chance to win. It was like, it was a fluke. It was like a complete, like it was no, it was basically given to me by God. It was, it was a blessed for God. It was like, you can't, can't explain it. It's amazing. With that type of like defined odds, you should do a March Madness bracket and see if you can get a, a perfect. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only, and I don't enter any lotteries or anything. And that was the only lottery I ever entered and I won. How wow. crazy, right? That, that's yeah. awesome. So with the law of attraction, like you touched on, you didn't really know what that was prior. I mean, were you implementing some of those steps and stuff with the law of attraction when it came to like getting to America or what was that like? 
No, I do. Uh, this is the one thing I've always realized um, now that I've studied the law of attraction and studied, you know, neuroplasticity and the reticular activating system of the brain, like attracts like. I, I've always had a big picture. I always understand what the big picture is, but I follow my intuition. Hmm. And I'm very connected to what I feel. So if I feel something is right um, and I get inspired, then it's 99% work. So it's mm -hmm. 1% inspiration, 99% perspiration. I love it. So I just knew coming to America was right for me. And when I landed, I landed here with nothing. It was before social media. It was before there was chat groups. Um, and I had to like figure it out, but because I was so, see, I didn't come to America trying to be Australian. I was obsessed about living in it. I love this country. I, I've always loved this country. I got a one-way ticket. My family's still in Australia and I was passionate about being here. And because I was so determined to be here, anything that came into my mind that was related to this country, it just, it just fitted in. So that's what I mean by like attracts like. I was so focused on the target that anything else that didn't fit that vision wasn't part of my, my reality. Yeah. I like that you mentioned that because what I've been really looking into is having your one big goal and then focusing on all the outputs that, that push you to that goal. So I think that kind of goes along those lines a little bit as well. Yeah, look, the trick is this. You never, look, when people say they're stuck, what I say to them is, first of all, identify the area that you're stuck, hmm. right? Because you and me, right, if you're stuck, you're desiring some kind of return, right? You have an outcome that you want. So I say, well, what, in what area? And they're like, what do you mean? I said, is it a personal relationship? Is it your career? Is it your physical health, right? Is it spiritually you feel stuck? And it's like, say you say, it's your career. I go, perfect. Now, there's forward motivation. There's away motivation. Away motivation is simple. You want to avoid certain things. So I say to someone, okay, why do you have that job? Well, I don't want to be broke, right? I don't want to be homeless. Perfect. So you want to move away from that so you have, you have money, correct? I'm like, yeah. I go, okay, so what's your forward motivation? What gets you up in the morning? Like, I don't have one. I go, ah, so you've just got a job to survive, Mm. that's not good. That's not pulling you out of bed in the morning because you're like, oh, I'm at my job again to pay my bills. No. So what you want to do is have forward motivation, right? Something that gets you up and that's the driver. That's the purpose because then what? You're never out of gas because you see the target. That's your big, that's your big goal, right? So then what you do is this. You're, I'm stuck. Perfect. You're stuck. No problem. Whenever you're stuck and you don't get a desired result, right? The first thing you do is gather information. So if you're stuck in a relationship, you start gathering information. How do you gather information? You read books, you go to people that are smarter than you in relationships that have better relationships, right? If it's business, go to mentors, indirect or direct. It could be reading a book about, you know, Warren Buffett or calling me or Dave Melson, right? Then what you do is you gather all the information as much as you can, right? And then you incubate. You just sit and you incubate by yourself, quiet time. Once you start to incubate, the brain slows down. And guess what? You get inspired. Mm. Now, that's only the one part. Once you get inspired, then you take action on the inspiration. So if you just keep repeating that loop. So say, for example, I, I work, for example, I read a book a week. 
Now, I'll read anything from Deepak Ayurvedic to Western mindfulness. I studied NLP, right? I'm always reading an NLP book, even though I'm studying. I'm always reading NLP. I'll read Buddhism. I will read <clears throat> business books. I'll read Peter Drucker. I mm. am always reading and consuming massive amounts of information. I'll read John Maxwell. And then what happens is if I have to write a new book or do stuff, everything's here because I'm always bringing in and processing and then sitting on it and then writing and sitting on it and writing. And so then when I have to come up with a creative idea or write a blog or do a podcast or study something or I'm working with someone, this is already, it's always churning. Mm. Do you know what I mean? The more you read, the more you can lead people into a better choice. Mm. So the four steps on that was information. Gather, gather first, right? You got to identify where you're stuck, right? Then you, in that, wherever you're stuck, right? Then you gather into that. So there's no point if you're stuck in a personal relationship and reading a book on kickboxing. That's not going to help you, right? Do you know what I'm saying? And people say, I'm stuck. I'll gather information. I'm like, well, hold on. It's about, if it's about mental health, read books on mental health, watch podcasts on mental health. So what I always do is you got to go for someone that's, that's someone that, that speaks your language, right? So you read in that vein, right? So you go, okay, I'm going to watch podcasts and that kind of stuff. Then you incubate, you put it all down and you sit with it. You allow it to go into your filter, mm. right? And you relax and, and, it's set and setting. You incubate where you're comfortable. You might incubate when you're driving. Perfect. You might incubate running. You might incubate in the bathtub, right? You may incubate in the shower. You may need smell. Whatever you do, it's your time. Once you're incubating, all that information is going to process and filter. And then you're going to get an idea. This is what happens. Most people get inspired, but they never take the action. Mm. that's why anyone can have an idea, but it's what you do with your, it's implementing a steps of action, mm. right? Then once you get the action, the trick is this, your right brain is going to go crazy in the inspiration, right? Then your left brain is going to analyze it. So when you're inspired, you just write, mm. get inspired, then go back and use critical thinking and analyze realistic thinking to see what steps are needed to take that idea and then bring it to life. Mm, I love that. And you touched on people fail to take action. I, you know, for myself, I always skip step two, like try not to as much, but I always skip the step to think about it. So I go from like gather information to try my best to get inspired to then action. But it's like the point number two, incubate. I mean, that's so important. You sit on it yeah. because then you then the good thing is, and what I do is creatively write. Mm. So when I write a book, right, what I do is, and you've got to go to people that are a little bit more advanced and mm. you can never be married to your work and where people don't churn the idea enough. Do you know what I mean? There's no such thing as failure. There's feedback. So go to someone that's going to give you good feedback. Do you see what I'm saying? And test it and keep testing it. And don't be married to the one idea. Expand. But the more information I get and the more I incubate on it, the more it churns and it just mm. keeps pumping out shit. Yeah. So if someone asks me to write a blog tomorrow, I'm like, what's the subject? And they give me the subject. I'll go and read a bunch of shit on it. 
or I'll go watch a podcast on it and I'll just sit. And I know within 20, 30 minutes after I run or exercise, I'll get inspired. Now, what I do is I write down the first draft and I don't judge it. I leave it. Mm. Come back two minutes later, I rewrite it. Come back two minutes later, I may rewrite it six times because I just keep churning the idea and I filler it out. Then bang, it's a great block. Yeah. That's what people don't tell you. Rewrite it, rewrite it, sculpt it. Mm. You know what I mean? And, and shape the idea. Yeah, and, and taking action, even if it's messy action, is 10 times better than taking no action. But, but it's supposed to be messy. Look, yeah. here's, the rule of, here's the rule of thirds. Whenever you start something new, it's hard at the start, messy in the middle, but it's magical at the end. Mm. People get stuck on hard and messy. Mm. Now, think of this. Whenever you start anything new, or you may not know something, it's called unconscious and incompetent, mm. okay? Now, you're like, you don't know what you don't know. Then you may go to someone and then you become consciously incompetent. So you're conscious, but you don't know the skill yet, right? Yeah. Then you become conscious and you become competent, which is great. But the, fir- the fourth part is a trick. You're unconscious and you're competent. That's when it's a habit. Mm. So think about it. You get into a car, you have no clue, right? You're unconscious and you're incompetent. You have no fucking clue. It's a stick yeah. shift. Then you start grinding the gears. You become consciously competent. Uh, you're right. You're like conscious and you're incompetent. You're like, I, I can't do this. It's going to take some time. Then you, you grind the gears out. You get a little momentum. You know how to look through the rear vision mirror. You know you put your indicator on. You don't cut people off. You're conscious and you're competent right? Then over time, what happens? You're unconscious and you're competent because you can go seven exits and not even realize you were driving. Mm. That's a really good point. Right? So anything you pass, what happens is people reframe it incorrectly and don't give them chance to learn the process. Mm. And they just kind of step, skip that step there. They get frustrated with the messy yeah. and the hard. And here's another thing. Mastery after a while is boring and I'll tell you why. Floyd Mayweather, right, when he's done his 10,000 hours, he never, ever, 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 ever would have to throw a jab again. But he always throws jabs, mm-hmm. right, because he's always sharpening his sword. Mm. So after a while, right, when you master something, it does become repetition because you're so unconscious and competent. See, that like, can do it easy. Yeah, But what makes a great master <clears throat> is they keep refining their practice. Hmm. Even after they've reached that level. That's awesome. You know what I mean? You watch it. And that was the biggest thing with Mike Tyson, who I love, and I've met Mike, is <clears throat> he, he, his ability was incredible. But if Andy Holyfield worked on craft longer, so you know when Mike said, oh, they got me when I was coming down, but he never really needed to come down. He chose to stop training. He chose to party. And so what happened is people caught up with him, Mm. right? Because he was the youngest champ. You can't take that away from him. But he didn't have the stamina to stay on the course. Do you know what I mean? He was up and down because very, very gifted genetically, like to move and that. But then when he faced Holyfield, Holyfield kept working. Mm -hmm. Holyfield, Holyfield was like a Larry Bird. He wasn't as gifted or as fast, but because he just kept doing the work, he found a way to win. Yeah, yeah, and it's almost like 
outworking each other is what's going to matter at the end of the day. At the end of the day, it's deliberate practice. Mm. And I like to say intentional training. You have to train with purpose and in intent and know why you're doing it. If you have a why behind the training and you can always get proper feedback, you can always grow. Yeah, I love that. So you touched on this like before we got started a little bit about like waking up at 3.34 in the morning. It doesn't feel like work. So how, how do you get in that mindset? And then second, like, can you also break down your morning routine? Cause it's pretty badass. Yeah. 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 So I, um, <clears throat> when I went through stomach surgery, uh, I was given a 1% chance of actually healing. That's mm. all I said. Once my appendix burst, I went into septic shock and I fell in love with Joe Dispenza. So I'm one of those people that doesn't need a lot of information. And what I mean by that is if I find out you ran a hundred miles, I'd be like, all right, you're human. I'm human. How did you start? And if I find out that you maybe couldn't run a mile, I'm like, well, I can run a mile. That means I can run a hundred. That's how my brain works. I literally remove any doubt. So I've just got to find your process. So I read the story of Joe Dispenser of how he got hit when he was a young guy as a triathlete and broke his back. And he learned to fire and wire, you know, the thought to the body. And then I started studying how the neurotransmitters in the brain affect the neuropeptides in the body and how the, the, the glands are, are, are connected to, to the chakras and how everything works in the system. I said, okay, so I have to mentally heal myself to heal my gut. So I started studying the best times in the morning to get up and everyone was saying, you know, between 1 and 3.34 in the morning is the best time to get up and meditate because you're clear and intuitively you're focused. So it started off getting up around 3 and meditating. But what I would do is then drift off to sleep and get up at 5. Mm. So then what happened was I just started to found this sweet spot around 3.30 and I just would get up and I felt good. I, I don't know why. I was like, I'm just going to stay up. So <clears throat> I never really set an alarm between three and four is the sweet spot. Sometimes it's 345, sometimes it's four, but it's around that spot. And what I do is I do straight off, I do three different breathing exercises. The first breath work I do is a transference of air from each nose. You put your thumb on one finger up one side, finger down, down that side. It's a, uh, I'll send it to you. It's, um, yeah. It's a kundalini uh, uh, yoga um, uh, breathing where you pump your diaphragm. And what it does is it opens the left and right side of the paraspheres of the brain, so it clears your head out. Then I do an exercise called breath of fire, which is you suck in through the nose and you pump the diaphragm. So if I go, it's pushing air out of the diaphragm and out the nose. Hmm. Then I do three rounds of that. Then the last three rounds are Wim Hof. I do Wim a little different. Um, he does just breathing through the mouth. I like to go in through the nose and out through the mouth, opening the diaphragm, but I do the similar style. And then I do, <clears throat> after that, I do box breathing, which I sit quietly in for four, hold for four, out for four, hold for four, 15, 20 minutes every morning. That mm. starts the day. After that, I do inventory and I write down what I need to accept for the day, what action I need to take and think three things I can be grateful for. 
I go straight into some kind of metabolic weightlifting, 30 to 40 minutes. And then I do my cardio. Now, if I'm running, I put on audio. If I'm on the elliptical, I read mm. at least an hour to 90 minutes. Stretch again for five minutes to make sure my body's all clear. Um, then it's hot and cold water. So I do a hot shower first and then five minutes cold because I like to actually let my body get the heat first, then go freezing cold because it shocks it and it lets yeah. me appreciate the difference. Mm. And then I do everything fasted. My first meal is I go, it depends. I, I feel it out now, 12 to 16 hours. I don't, I just kind of go on how I feel. I used to be strict on 16. Now it's 12 to 16, but it's yeah. always around 12 hours. And then now it's, it's six meals a day. Um, I, do, I eat carbs now. I used to just do keto. Now I just do, honestly, chicken, broccoli, rice, um, oatmeal. It's more of a kind of, they call it the bro diet. And it's just, and then it's like, it's the same shit every two hours. And what I do is when I, um, I tell people this, if they say they don't have time to meditate and do it, I'm like, if you eat three or four meals a day, two or three minutes before you start, meditate then. Hmm. Before you get in your car, spend two minutes before you start the car. If you use the bathroom, sit on the toilet, take two or three minutes, just do it when you can and yeah. it'll accumulate to find your mindfulness. Yeah, that's awesome. And it's, it's like these routines are so important and it's just finding ways that you can put it into your schedule. Like you mentioned, two minutes here, two minutes there. It's like, your routine is awesome, but someone that hasn't done any of that ever, it's like first find some ways to put it in there and then and then do it. So I'll teach you this trick, right? And, yeah. and this is what people don't understand. I can write, I'll write a book a year for the next 10 years, no problem. I can read a book to two books a week. I'm undiagnosed dyslexic. I had to teach myself to program. This is how I taught myself to read really well. I would get an audio book. I would get the written book and I would read along with audio to, keep, to teach myself to read at a certain cadence because I was undiagnosed dyslexic. When I started to write, I would read and rewrite, read and rewrite, watch other authors, look at how they were spelling, look at how they were pronouncing, looking at words. I really taught myself. So when I got against a top editor, he was like, well, for a guy that's undiagnosed dyslexic, how do you write so quick? How can you take a creative idea and write 5,000 words in an hour? because I taught myself what I copied, what other great people were doing. Mm. So I just model people that are better than me. Mm. But then I take the responsibility to do the work. Do you know what I'm saying? And that's all yeah. it is. If you can take the responsibility to do the work, I'm living proof. Undiagnosed dyslexic, I came here with nothing, and you just work hard and, and you can figure it out. Yeah, totally agree. So going back to like morning routine a little bit real quick. One thing that I heard you also do is, is some visualization. So Always. your book talks about the, the, the story with the free throws and how the three different groups and the one that visualized improved. So like, can you touch on that for the listeners? Because that story yeah. really started me on the track of like how important visualization actually is. Well, the way the brain works is this. So um the brain doesn't know what's real and what's fake. Mm. The mind, it doesn't. And that's why people get in situations where they really make bad choices. If you think about it, when someone says, you know, say something happens to you tomorrow, 
Well, think about this. Think about this. If you're sitting here and I'm sitting here, you and I are sitting here right now, no bullshit. It doesn't matter how much of a superpower I am. I can't go back in time and change it. Neither can you, right? Sure. That's reality. And we've manifested, you and I have manifested our reality up until this point by how we choose to think, feel, and act, right? Mm-hmm. Our thoughts create our feelings, our emotions. Our emotions create choices we make and our behaviors. It doesn't matter what happened to you. It's your perception of the event that is choosing you to make those choices. So if you and I see something in the future, right, and we sit on that and visualize it, what happens is what we focus on expands. Hmm. The reticular activating system of the brain is the net. So if you wake up in the morning, now think about this, okay? This is why there's a thing called the map is not the territory. Your map of reality can't be the same as mine because what you've actually experienced into your life at this point is not what I've experienced. Mm. So I'll give you a perfect example. What do you think of spaghetti bolognese? Pretty good. All right, perfect. I can can eat that right now. (laughs) I'm going to tell you a little trick. You looked up and to your left, right? Your eyes went up to your left, right? To remember an experience of spaghetti bolognese. Mm -hmm. Correct. Yeah, that, you, absolutely. You, you had to get it from somewhere, right? There was an experience. There's an anchored experience that you've had with spaghetti bolognese. Mm-hmm. Spaghetti bolognese is not in front of you. It no. doesn't exist. It came from somewhere, right? Yeah. It came from a mental picture. Ah, so what happens if you wake up in the morning knowing you recall up on the left, but you construct on the right? So if I tell you right now, I want you to construct an image of you right now walking down the street. Do it right now. You're walking down the street. See where your eyes are going? See, they're going to the right, right? Yep. So if you sit there and you visualize it and you start to construct that image slowly, your brain now, remember, you're, you're probably pretty young. So you wouldn't remember, you, you, how old were you September 11th, 2001? Um, I was five. Do you remember it? Uh, yeah, I remember being at my house playing with some toys. and. Okay, stop. TV, yeah. T- September 11th, 2005, you were five, but you remember it, right? Yeah. Why? Because the emotion attached to the event. Mm. That's so really- how about this? How about if you visualize something in the future attached a really heightened emotion to it, your brain in quantum physics is not going to go the difference between real and fake. So you've already created it in the future. So if you keep firing and wiring those thoughts of what you're going to get in the future, like it's already happened, you're only going to attract in your reality Mm. that what you think is real. So if you go out into the street tomorrow, and you believe, for example, you're the greatest motivational speaker in the world, right? And that's all you, and you see yourself on stage and you see yourself on stage. Anywhere you walk, you, your reality is you're a motivational speaker. So you're going to talk about it. You're going to see things that re- re- relate to you because your brain is wired that way to see it. 
Mm. So when you start visualizing the future you want, you're going to attract in your life, the law of attraction, those things that match your reality. And you shape your reality by how you choose to think and what you visualize. That is so cool. Oh, I love that. And think, feel, and so, act, good. right? Yeah. So okay. why... So why did I get a green card? Because all I did is talk about America. Mm. So all I did is tell people about America, right? So what happened is that lady came into that store and because I kept talking about America, she's like, oh, you should enter the green card lottery. I attracted it by what I put out in the universe. So how, how does one attach the, the emotion, like you mentioned, to that future? Have, all right. So you have to attach it to a feeling that you've had before that is elevated. Gotcha. Because remember, tra- why did traumatic events stay in us so long? Just because the emotional side is so, is so ah, high. Ah, right. Yeah. The emotional trigger hardwires it in our brain, right? Mm. Touch a stove, fucking burns. <laughs> yeah. It's hardwired in your brain not to touch the stove again, right? So... Your brain, if you can keep firing and wiring that emotion that's high and exciting, mm-hmm. like you've just won the lotto, your brain doesn't know the difference. Then if you keep repeating it. Now, you've got to act in alignment. Mm-hmm. There's no point sitting on your ass. And that's where you've got to connect with the universe and your intuition. If I visualize I want to do something, like here's a perfect example. I came out of a meditation, a visualization. And I had the feeling to call Dave Melser, so we should do a show together. Guess what? I pitched him on the show, a dose with David and Diamond. We've done the show for a year. <clears throat> now it's going to get syndicated off like just a live show. Mm. <clears throat> but I went with the feeling. Mm-hmm. But I saw myself with Dave doing the show. Yeah. That's you see awesome. what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, because you're like your brain can't really tell the difference between what's real nope. and what's not. And then it gave me the information to follow the crumbs. And so you're attaching, let's just say, a happy moment in your life. Always, always that, happy. What? That emotion to this future thing that you're visualizing, correct? It's 100%. Cool. That's awesome. You have to see it in the future and then hand it over to the universe. Yeah. And that makes so much sense. I mean, it's like, think about a silver car. If you, tie, if you th- keep thinking about it, literally, I'm going to see a silver car tomorrow and I probably wouldn't Why? have it. Because the reticular activating system is the net that's going to filter out the crap. Yeah. And that's just like touching on this too. I mean, how important is it to not fill your mind with, with negative things then? Information in, information out, right? Yeah. So think about this. Think about like how much shit we carry around that's negative for no reason where we could carry around the positive. So when you see people and they say, oh, this happened to me, that happened to me. But when you really break it down, They've just been firing and wiring the same crap. So they've, they've strengthened their neural pathways, but it's really garbage. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good and point. you can't change it. Right. If you can't change it, learn from it and move on. Yeah, yeah. You can't, you can't change the past, but you can keep your attitude create the future. up and create the future. Yeah, so much that you can do there. You so, can't change the past. You can learn from the past and create the future you want. True. Um, speaking on the past a little bit, so you have been sober since April 16th, 2006, I believe. Uh, first off, like huge congrats. That's awesome. Um, what were just like some learning lessons through through that experience prior to 2006? 
um, that you think you can like listeners can implement, people can implement things like that? Well, this is the thing I always tell people. Every human being is looking for a dose and dose is broken down to dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, and endorphins. Mm. Our brain wants those four happy chemicals, right? Mm -hmm. And there's empowering ways to get a dose and there's disempowering. Mm. So every human being is looking to avoid pain and gain pleasure. Mm. Unfortunately, I was looking for a lot of pleasure (laughs) in avoiding pain. Mm -hmm. So I did a lot of cocaine and drinking. Mm. Right. So then what I did is I realized I wasn't getting the desired result. So I always go on the return. My return on investment for doing cocaine wasn't very good after a while. Mm. My return on investment of drinking that much alcohol wasn't good. So I just go, you know what? I'm going to switch it up. One is if I'm sober and I'm clear minded and I feel better. And then I was just like, I'm done with the drinking and the coke. I want to be sober. And it was just like a shift. I just didn't want to be that guy anymore. I didn't want to drink and do coke anymore. And a lot of people that I used to, you know, go with are dead or didn't Mm. get it. And I just, I moved on and changed my life. And it was kind of a quick snap like that. Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't even, I learned my lessons. Look, addicts, Mm -hmm. everyone is searching. I was Mm. searching for something. And I went down some paths and I realized that I was searching in the wrong places. And we're all searching for something and it's all we're searching for is our potential and our authentic self. Yeah. And it, it's, in, it's inside us. It's not outside. It's all internal. And once we have the courage to just listen to our calling and our inner voice and remove the white noise, we find ourselves. Yeah, that's, that's such a great realization. I like that. Um, and, and anyone can do it. If you spend enough time with yourself and get rid of the negativity, you can, you'll find yourself. It's there. You just have to listen. Yeah. So what are kind of the steps of that? Is it like going on a hike by yourself for a couple of days or how can you just break that down just as a normal person? You know. Well, the most important thing is you have to do some inventory and figure out that the first eight years of your life has been programmed by your environment. And mm-hmm. when I say your environment is your parents good and bad, your siblings, if you had any, um, your relatives, your cousins, your neighbors, your house, the food you ate, the shows you watched. So you may be programmed unconsciously because there's so many triggers in the environment. Hmm. So just someone's voice can trigger an emotion and then your emotions hijack you into making a decision. Hmm. So when people talk about self-awareness, really self, and, and they talk about emotional intelligence, It's really understanding the triggers to those emotions. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So once you break down the triggers and do some inventory and you say to yourself, all right, if you're not making empowering choices and you don't feel in your life, you're where you want to be and you start to do some inventory and take stock, you'll understand what's triggering you. And you say, okay, so now I have to get some more information. Right. And, and, and Maslow said only 3% of people actually self-actualize. I don't believe that. I believe that anyone can reach their full potential and self-actualize if they figure out why they're making disempowering choices. Mm. So once you start doing some personal inventory and you break that shit down and really de-weed yourself, you realize there's a lot of shit in there that you've been fed that's crap. And it's yeah. really, really against how good you are. Any human being, I'm telling you right now, 
is really capable of doing incredible shit. And I only go out and do crazy shit to show people what's possible. That's it. I read a bunch of shit, I try a bunch of stuff, and I say, this works, this doesn't work. Just to show people what's possible so they realize they're really fucking amazing. Yeah. Everyone's amazing. Right. Everyone has so much potential, but they're afraid to step into it because they've been fed a bunch of shit that keeps them locked into this you know, small paradigm. I'm like, mm. bullshit. Yeah. See how far you can stretch. Look, my son today, right? He's he's not he's just turned three, he's three and a half, got diagnosed. They're like, oh, I think he's autistic. I'm like, that's great. He's got a superpower. They're like, what do you mean? I said, well, I'm I'm fucking undiagnosed dyslexic and I'm I write like a maniac. I said, so that means I'm gonna find out what he's good at. So you've put him in a box already. There's no box. That means yeah. to him, he's always gonna his dad's gonna say, oh, I got a superpower, I'm autistic. So I'm just going to find out what he's good at and then I'm going to have him master that. And guess what? Then they're going to say, well, it's because he's autistic. That's why he's like a genius. <laughs> so he's a genius to me. We're all geniuses in our own way. And to put someone in a box at three years old to me is stupid. I totally agree. And is getting out of that box, um, what did you talk about of having a, a flexible mindset? Absolutely. Cool. Always get out of the box. Always yep. think out of the box. Always step to the side step back from it, rework it, give yourself time to make a ton of mistakes. And it's like, it's just unfortunate how, how life can be sometimes because it's almost like the world conditions you to stay in a box, go to school, graduate, get a job, eight to five, retire at 65. It's like, that's such a box Like get out of it. But what is it? But look, all right, this look, look, and people never want to talk about this. Um, I wouldn't get all the speaking gigs I got if I didn't do that much cocaine. I wouldn't be a top interventionist and open sober livings if I get more clients than anyone because I've done it all on experiment. I'm not saying go out and experiment and do what I did, but if someone's got a drug and alcohol problem, they come to me right? because I've done that. Secondly, yeah. have you and I ever used Pythagoras' theorem? What the, why do I need to uh, learn oh, this crap? <laughs> but right, do you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. the math I was taught, where teach people to set goals, teach them purpose, teach them to save money, teach them about compound interest. I understand that. Mm -hmm. How to build real estate, how to help people, how to be of service. Don't teach them stuff that it's dated and, and I don't care about it. And to me, I just look at it and go, okay, if that's what you want to keep teaching to keep your job, and keep people in a box, teach it, but it ain't going to get people closer to their potential. No way. And it's funny. You mentioned like the, the theorem. I was like, what is that? I'm like, Oh yeah, that's something I, <laughs> it's like, I don't even remember like, but right. Word. But where would you now? I get it. If you want to be a mathematician, I yeah. get it. If you want to uh, work as an engineer, there's certain left brain that you need it, but what the world's turned into now and it's changed 70% right brain, 30% left brain. Mm -hmm. And people now realize that the pandemic changed everything, didn't it? Oh, Your yeah. jobs aren't safe anymore. Mm. Things aren't safe. You've got to figure out a way to be creative. Yeah. And get out of the box. And if you're and not your creative and you can't. Exactly. Yeah. I love that. Um, yeah. Your book talks about the seven Ps. So yeah. what are those seven Ps? Uh, if you could break that down. Purpose. You have to have a purpose. Uh, then you have to have a plan, purpose first, then a plan, create a plan. Uh, then you have to have the right priorities. There's 24 hours in the day. 
You know, you don't spend major time on minor things. Mm -hmm. You got to remember Pareto's law, 20% should give you an 80% return, right? And know where you're focusing your 20 and 80. Uh, The right people, make sure you surround yourself with the right people. I like to say there's engines and there's anchors. Mm -hmm. An anchor will pull you down and drown you. An engine will drive you. And also have direct and indirect mentors, right? A direct mentor would be calling me up. An indirect mentor would be studying someone that's done something that you want to achieve and you model their behavior. Then you have to have perseverance and you have to have patience. Without the perseverance and patience, I don't care if you've got the other Ps, it doesn't matter. You have to persevere and be patient and give yourself time. Yeah. And I think perseverance and patience, those two work so well together if you can properly align them. Yeah. I just, people give up too easy. Mm -hmm. That's why purpose, that's why you have to have a why. You know what I mean? You have to have a reason. And it's like the bamboo tree. What is it? You water it for like five years or something and and it finally grows or something. Yeah. So that's it. That's a story I tell people all the time. You know, the bamboo tree is the best analogy of like you set a goal and you you know it's like this look if you if you break down your life right and and i i write everything down i write the people involved i write the time down i i grid everything down and i look at timelines and how much time look you know the one thing that's guaranteed is you're gonna die the physical body has an expiration date and people are like, I'll do it tomorrow. I'm like, you just lost a day. I, don't, I, I associate massive regret with procrastination. I never procrastinate. If I feel I should do it, I just jump in. Yeah. I just figure it out. I just do the work. I just, I just jump in. I get wet. Yeah. And then you jump in the water and figure it out. You just go all in, which is the importance of it. Just go all in. What do you got yeah. to lose? Yeah. Nothing goes with you in the end. That's <laughs> so true. Just the shit. If you sit on your deathbed right now, you're only going to regret the things you didn't do. And remember, if you do something, it's just feedback. Mm. There's no failure. There's any, that's where school is boring. Oh, you, I can't wait to this, this next book I've written. I know it's going to be a bestseller. Mel's is writing the forward. And I can't wait to show my school grades of a D in English and then send it to my English teacher and go, obviously, your assessment of me was wrong. I didn't fail school. School failed me. Mm, yeah. And, and you got out of the box and now look, look what's happening. My life is easy. Yeah. I'm self-employed. I, I've never called myself an entrepreneur because I just did entrepreneurial things. Now it's cool to be an entrepreneur. I didn't think like that. I just opened up businesses. I opened up bars. I shot TV shows. I wrote TV shows. Mm. I did it all without an agent. I fired my agents. I sold the shows myself. Wow. People are waiting for someone to give them an opportunity. You don't worry about that. You create the opportunity. Mm, that's awesome. I love that. You be so good, you can't be ignored. And what I mean by that is if you think you're a tough bugger, go out into the backyard and beat people up. Guess what? Someone's going to discover you on YouTube like Kimbo Slice. Mm-hmm. Then when you make it to the big leagues, you'll get sorted out. Can you really throw down or not? Yeah. You see what I mean? Have the balls to step out there and say, I'm going to test this shit out. Do you know what I mean? It's like you can watch Wim Hof all day and you go, he's doing something. If he can sit in an ice tub for six (laughs) hours, he's doing something because most people can't. Do you see what I'm saying? So it's not like just talk 
talking about it. It's stepping into that unknown and doing the work. Yeah. And it's like a six pack. Is it built on your couch watching videos? It's built in the gym, actually doing the work. Same with like life and business and stuff. This is the perfect thing you always say to me. Someone says to me like the other day, you know, I stay lean all year round and I'm like, they want to get lean. I said, I'll show you, I'll show you what diet to get lean because what people don't understand is they see people will always say, oh, that guy's on drugs or that guy's doing that. Whoa, 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 whoa. I'll tell you right now, it doesn't matter what drug someone is taking, they're doing a shit ton of work. That's why people look at bodybuilders, oh, he's on steroids. Yeah, but you train like that, eat on zero calories. These guys starve themselves to look like that. Don't get it twisted here. If you want to look a certain way, you've got to sacrifice something. Mm-hmm. And it ain't, it, it, there's, there's those freaky guys that can eat McDonald's all day and be shredded. Yes. But 99% of the people out there, when you look at their diet and how they're training, and you say you really want to look like that, well, behavior has to match up. Mm-hmm. That's a good. And people don't see the other side of the story, like the work that's being put in. Yeah, that's, uh, that's such a good point. I love that you said that. Um, everyone is just like i want to look like this well you're willing to do the work well no I'm like, you're not going to look like that yeah or i'm willing to you know have this business or make this money but are you willing to do the whole other side that comes with it I, yeah hmm. um so with your journey so far i know it's been crazy like a lot of awesome experiences you have uh, the book that you wrote you have two more coming out but before we highlight some things you're working on um, I always ask this last question, what would be your, your one word just to really describe kind of the success and the journey that you've had so far in life? Ooh, that's really, really, really a good word. One word to describe it. Um, fun. Yes. That's awesome. It's been fun. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's been a, I, I, w- I don't regret a thing. Yeah, I wouldn't change a thing. Um, yeah, life is fun for me. It's just an adventure, and I love it. And I love giving people opportunities to express themselves. So now mm-hmm. I love to help people. Yeah, it's fun. That's awesome. And would you say that's kind of your your why or your your purpose? My purpose is to inspire, educate, motivate, mm-hmm. to help people live their full potential, love themselves, and teach them that they matter. Mm. That's amazing. How, and that, I try to focus on that every day. Yeah. Did, um, did you come up with that, by the way, from, from actually like spending time incubating like you were talking about? I, or? I saw um, who had um, Live, Love and Matter was, I saw that from Inspire, Educate, Motivate was me, but it Live, Love and Matter, I think it was Brandon Bruchard, I think, said something oh, like, did I love, live, did I love, did I matter? The three questions. Something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I liked that. And then I thought, well, I like that, but not him to live. Did he live? I was more like, I want to show people to live their full potential, show them how to love themselves because they matter. Mm-hmm. And I want to inspire them first, educate them and motivate them, right? To show them how to live their full potential. So if I can inspire them, educate and motivate them, they'll live their full potential they'll love themselves because they'll have their full potential and they'll see that they matter. So that's how I wanted to say, yeah. yeah. But I did, I liked what he said, but he was more about him. I was more about, I want to show other people how to do it. Yeah. And, and, and ultimately those three things are going to help drive people to reach their full potential. Well, yeah. I just want to help people feel what I feel when I got sober and feel what I mm. feel when life to me falls into place. Yeah. I, I have it to give it. 
You know what I'm saying? Not about me. I want to show people how to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I know you have your first book that I read, Seven Steps to an Unbreakable Mindset. What is up next on your plate? I know you have another book and everything. So highlight The second book, right. The second book has a working title called A Dose of Positivity. Cool. Um, It's basically, I like to drop a dose of positivity on people and anchor a positive experience. Uh, That's done. I don't know if they'll change the working title. I start book three, which is uh, a book called Becoming a Conscious Outlaw. The Becoming a Conscious Outlaw, I talk about the conscious outlaw in book one, is giving people 12 steps to teach them to self-actualize, reach their full potential. Um, The fourth book will either be uh, a mindfulness, running, fitness, and a hybrid book to show people Mm. that you can lift weights mindfully, you can run mindfully and do anything, or it might be a leadership book on emotional intelligence, either one. Mm. That's book awesome. three. Yeah. Book three is definitely getting written in, starting next month. Book four, I'll make a decision after I write book three. Do you have um, a timeline for book two? Right now it's with agents and publishers. So yeah. honestly, it's, they could put it out in a year. They could put it out in eight months. They just, when you go to publishing companies, you just hand it over, shut your mouth and start and the next book. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> start the next book. Fall in love with the process, you know, yeah. just, just do the work. Totally. Well, Mike, this is a ton of fun. Thank you so much for hopping on. Love the story. Love the books. I'll put uh, the link to Seven Steps and Breaking Mindset in the show notes. Oh, another thing as well. I have a supplement. My oh, okay. focus nice. deal. Ooh. They can go to uh, diamondlifefuel.com. It's a cognitive performance. First of all, it elevates your mood. It improves your focus and performance, and it burns fat, and it's all natural. Cool. What was that called again? I know you held it up. Mind Focus Fuel 2.0. Awesome. Well, Mike, man, thanks again. This was a ton of fun. Appreciate you hopping on the show. I'm so sorry I was late as well, buddy. I'm never like that, so I appreciate your patience. Well, that's it, guys. Thanks again for tuning in to this week's episode of Next Level Minds. Be sure to check out Mike Diamond. Definitely read his book, Seven Steps to an Unbreakable Mindset, one of my favorites out there. Other than that, speaking of mindset, as we like to say here at Next Level Minds, your mindset is your greatest weapon for the battle of success. <laughs>